0: All right, so we're in Psalm 27, which is on page 394, and we're continuing our short mini-series called 27. We got into this uh, glorious psalm, and I say glorious not as a throwaway word. You know what I mean? Sometimes you throw out words that sound great, but David here, in the midst of hardship, trial, extremity, difficulty, he reaches out to the living God to experience and then express back to God His glory. And it is wonderful. So, read with me starting in verse 1 of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So two Sundays ago, we started with these verses and I asked the question, how might we sort of express a similar swagger, a similar confidence in God during times of extremity. And what we saw through God's Word, the answer to that, the key to that is preparation. If you hope to place confidence in Jesus and thus display Him in your life, it does not just happen. All right, you don't just naturally, we don't just naturally kind of drift towards what is godly. It takes preparation through the constant reminder of truth. Both experiential truth, right? The recording of how He has provided for us in the past and you write it down, and also His eternal truth through understanding, through memorizing His Word. All right, so we looked at the example of one courageous teenager, Rachel Scott, who had been diligently preparing behind the scenes to confidently display Jesus during her fatal moment of extremity in her life. She was a powerful story. So the next week we looked at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 27. Read that with me. One thing I have asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. After discussing, see, what it takes to prepare to be the person we always hoped we would be, during times of extremity. Last week was the reality check. Who are you really during those times? What's your one thing to which you look for comfort, for satisfaction, for hope when things go wrong? What is that one thing for you? And I asked you to compare your one thing with David's one thing, which was a personal, passionate encounter with the living God, And not just that. His favorite encounter with the living God was in God's house in corporate worship. Worshipping with His people. And so we discussed how can we go from where we are, our one thing, to get there. Which leads us to verses 6 through 10 this morning. That's the chunk of Scripture we're going to look at. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Let me stop here. So what we have is a clear transition. All right, in this psalm, starting here in verse 6, where He says, and now, because having prepared, having prepped for extremity, having located the one thing in which I'm going to seek to find shelter during extremity, here's how I'm going to respond once the Lord brings me through that extremity. David is anticipating the success of God's deliverance in his life and then tells the Lord how he plans to respond. You see that? So that's kind of where we're at this morning. And I know there are a number of us here this morning who are going through something painful. You are in a pit in your life. Or you've just emerged from that pit in your life. Or maybe perhaps you are you are at... Right? The end of emergency. The the hands are out. You're clawing over the precipice of the pit. You're almost there. The light's at the end of the tunnel. How will we respond? So that we'll be ready for the next one. Because, listen, you know, unless God has looked at his appointment book and he's calling you soon to have tea with him eternally, all right, there will be a next one. There'll be another pit that's coming. So, David prays us through a helpful example of how to respond when God's brought you out of something like that. So, we'll be ready for the next one. And, in a nutshell, what I think the psalm is saying to us is this keep tabs on your success, especially success that comes from, comes out of extremity, hard times. Keep tabs on your success. Couple things here. I don't mean your success. All right, if you're looking for a pat on the back this morning, I'll give you one later, but it's not coming here. I'm talking about God's success. His bringing you through something difficult. All right, His deliverance to keep tabs on that. Now, wait a minute, I got to do a cross cultural check. Do you understand what I mean when I say keep tabs on? I know we have people from like six different continents here. You know what I mean by that? Keep tabs on? Help me out. Everyone know what that means? Give me a nod. Give me like a... (laughs) It means to mark progress. To keep track. To keep tabs on someone or something. So, I'm using this this morning, tab, as an acronym. Alright, you know what I mean? So, uh, T is going to stand for something. A is going to stand for something. And B is going to stand for something. And I know those things can be very cheesy. But I am not beyond using an acronym. So we're going to do that this morning. Keep tabs. Because I'm down with the acronyms, right? You know, I'm, I'm down with the LOL. You know, the LMAO, like laugh my arms off. All right, I don't even know what that means. You just, Whoa, you laugh so hard. Just your arms fall off. I'm, I know what the kids are texting these days. BBMing. You know. PIR, parent in room p 911s parent alerts or, uh, let's see, P-A-L, parents are listening. P-A-W, parents are watching. I know what this means. Parents, that's just our kids reminding us that they love us and they're even thinking about us while they text. All right? That's what that means. So we're just going along those lines. Everyone uses it. C-U-C, right? Caribbean Utility Company. Or Foster's, which is one of my favorites. Uh, Foster's, which is, where's Foster's? There it is. Food of Substance. To be eaten regularly for supper. That's what fosters means. Don't, a lot of people don't know that. Actually, just I just made that up this week. So uh, if you're a foster's employee, you can see me while that's trademarked. Alright, it's trademarked now. But Everyone uses acronyms, so I am not beyond using it. We're gonna do it this morning. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, tab, here's what tab's gonna mean. Thank, as in Thanksgiving, ask believe. All right, what so we're going to thank, ask, believe. And that's what we see here this morning. We're going to spend most of our time on thank, the bulk of our time on thank in verse 6. In verses 7 through 9, we see David asking. And finally, in verse 10, that reinforces belief. So let's look at that this morning. Uh, thank. Let's look at verse 6 with me, if you would. He says this, middle of verse 6, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So this is not just any type of thanksgiving David gives, right? It's not just uh, a silent thank you or the the double tap point to heaven thank you. You know that one, right? This one that your favorite footballer or basketball player or whatever uses to give thanks to some ambiguous spirit or God in heaven. We're not sure. Not that, but David's thanksgiving is four things that thanksgiving typically is not. First of all it's public in his tent this is the tabernacle we talked about last week publicly sharing this so it's public his thanksgiving it's also visible and memorable right he's offering sacrifices right so he is actually there's like animals and blood involved and stuff etc are right, there sacrifices now i want to stop here because there's something there's something about public visible almost physical Uh, Thanksgiving the declaration of Thanksgiving that sort of cements the reality of what God has done have you ever noticed that? you recognize God has done something but if you're like me I just forget things I have a hard time remembering it's a problem for me but when I get up and actually say it before people when I physically write it down or when I just do something to remember it you ever notice how it becomes more of a reality for us personally it sort of cements it I think that's what's so valuable, what David is doing here. And I'm going to actually, you know, I want to give us an opportunity to do this a little bit later. To ourselves, make a public declaration of thanksgiving to cement the reality of God's work in our hearts. So it's public, it's visible, memorable. It's also loud, right? Shouts of joy. And finally and fourthly, David's thanksgiving informs his face and his voice right he sings and makes melody to yahweh what's interesting when something happens something great happens to some people right it's like their brain fails to notify most of their you know basic motor functions right like their face <laughs> or their voice it ever happened like yes thank you thank you that's great you know it's good it's like seriously like God just did this amazing thing, and you become like Ben Stein. Remember Ben Stein, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Bueller, Ferris, Bueller, anyone, right? And that's sort of what happens sometimes. God does something great, and we fail to inform our face, our voice. And it's kind of sad, really. I remember hearing once about this story about uh, Frederick Nietzsche, who was this 19th century... Let's call him pessimistic philosopher. He was very famous for declaring that God is dead. All right, there's not a lot of joy coming through that philosophy, right? So he encountered one time a bunch of cheerless... I like to move around the stage, but I have this. He encountered one time a bunch of cheerless Christians in this public space there at this convention. And he sort of observed them for a while. And then after watching them interact, he walked up to them and said, Yuck! You people make me sick. And so their spokesman came and said, why? Why do you feel that way? He said, you know why? Because of this. Your redeemed don't look like they're redeemed. You know what I mean? They are redeemed by the Lamb of God, by Christ himself. And He, Nietzsche knew God's word. They didn't look like it. Such public, memorable at times, even out loud Thanksgiving, that can be heard and voiced and seen in our face is the most critical response that we can make to God's delivering us out of the pit. A full-bodied Thanksgiving. I want to explain more as to why that's so important. But first, I want to give two general problems, problems that we have with Thanksgiving, okay? And I want you to identify which one you're more prone to have? Okay, which problem you're more prone to indulge in? Assume it or miss it? All right, so first assume it. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said of this, these verses here, that place for which David longed in his conflict. Remember this last week? That place he longed for was encountering God, specifically in God's house for corporate worship. I thought about that last week. Anyway, that place should see his thankful joy and his triumphant return. He does not speak of jubilations to be offered in his palace and feasting in his banqueting halls. Talking about David here. But instead, holy mirth he selects as most fitting for so divine a deliverance. So often the problem lies here, doesn't it? I can really relate to what Spurgeon is saying because we witness the hand of God. I can witness the hand of God only to sort of breathe that sigh of relief. Maybe there's a you know we go out to dinner or you know you go out to, for, for a drink or something for celebration, but then you move on with your life. You know what I mean? And I think there's no simple reason why we do this. It's a combination of things, maybe. You know, for instance, you know, we, we live in a fast-paced world, both in the workplace and in our day-to-day relationships. And so when we emerge from our cocoon of trial, our cocoon of suffering, everyone else's lives has kind of moved on. But there's been a few people who have sort of suffered with us, who've stayed behind and suffered with us, but other people have moved on. So we feel like, oh man, we got to move on. Let's just put that behind. Not even think about it. If we don't move on, we can't keep up. So we don't often stop. I think also we end up oftentimes explaining away God's success. With these simple platitudes like, we tell people, oh, you know, these things have a way of just working themselves out. Right? Something like that. Or, or, you know, stuff happens. You know, stuff happens. Really? Really? Underneath this God's, you know, that things have a way of working themselves out, that kind of mentality is is the belief that these things really would have just happened. It probably would have just been okay without God's intervening hand. Without Him getting directly involved, I still would have been all right. You know what I mean? We assume things would have been okay. And I think we often do this And we move on because it's easier. It's easier to keep your faith comfortable and private. So not only we, but others can move on with their lives. Let's just be comfortable. So before moving on to ambiguous phrases and to old patterns of living, I'm encouraging you, choose holy mirth. Choose to declare His praises. For those of us who still might say, well, yeah, but lives are carrying on. They're continuing on at a fast pace without us. Then along the way, tell those lives about His intervening work in your life. If you need to catch up, fine. Then tell those lives you're catching up with about His intervening work in your life. Sometimes we assume it. Other times I think we miss it. What do I mean when I say we miss it, this opportunity for Thanksgiving? We thank Him for the thing He did. Or we thank Him for that thing. We don't often thank Him for the thing behind the thing. You know what I mean? There's There's the external thing, then there's the thing behind the thing. What do I mean by that? We thank Him not only for the externally obvious, but also for the internally Glorious. There's the external thing he does, but then there's that thing he does in our lives through it, in our person. Now, I've uh, openly shared with you guys how uh, last school year, I don't know what to say, but school year, uh, September through June, was uh, Katie and I's most externally challenging year. Uh, Katie went from a stay-at-home mom to going back uh, not only to uh, teach, but also go to school uh, to get her certification. And you know, I've spoken very openly that meanwhile, uh, I was I inherited the uh, laundry folding skills of an old Navy employee. All right, I got very good at that. All right, the whole family had to kind of pitch in and do a little extra. And so I learned some basic life skills through that, which I probably needed to know anyway, all right? It was good. Everyone picked up the extra slack. It was hard. And this summer, the success got achieved, okay? The success he achieved was how he used Katie at Hope Academy. And then how he gave her strength to study and to learn and to, to get the certification at UCCI. And then the result was we could have joy and celebrate when we were on vacation this summer. And we had the opportunity to really do that. But there was a deeper work that God did. Both in our marriage... I would say for, for me personally. And since I didn't get permission to share about our marriage, I'll just share it about me personally. All right. So throughout these nine months, I was compelled to rely more on him. Because I was, you know, I had selfishness in my life. Still do. I was compelled more to rely on him. And so my prayer life grew. Even as I prayed imperfectly, I didn't know it. I didn't see it. Necessarily at first, but over the summer, as I looked back, I saw how my faith in God through prayer, how time in prayer, and especially how joy in prayer you know what I mean? Joy in prayer that is amazing, by the way, how those things grew. They shot up. There was clear growth in that discipline in my life compared to last year. Totally the Lord. (laughs) Absolutely his work. I, this was a very imperfect process on my end, to say the least. We often look back and only notice and give him credit for the obvious. Have you ever noticed we especially do that with others? You know, we think others want to hear about those, the crazy circumstances, the unbelievable things that went on. But we don't want to tell them about the internal work that went on are like, I'll explain the circumstances. But I'm not going to explain the person and what happened there. And I want to challenge us that the internal work is far more lasting. Don't be ashamed of the work God has done in your life through trial. Don't just explain the circumstances. Explain the internally glorious. People will see that. Don't be ashamed to share it. Okay, so David, having publicly and joyously sort of cemented God's success through thanks, he's ready to ask, ready to pray for the next extremity. All right, so verses 7 through 8. Look at that with me if you would. I'll actually read 7 through 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. So the first thing I want to do here is connect the dots between thanks and ask. Thinking and asking. Now, I love sports. I'm just going to say that. It bears no explanation. You probably know that about me, or you know I'm a man. I just love sports, okay? It's what I like. But every once in a while, you know this, okay? Men and women alike. When an athlete does something that makes you say, wow, I I cannot believe what I just saw. You do something so spectacular, you say, I cannot believe what I just saw. As a fan, when something like that happens, what do you immediately want? A replay. Right? On TV we had this magical ability of replay where they can take tape. It's not really tape anymore. They can rewind their magical box and the show the replay. It's amazing. I don't know if you've seen this, but but replay where we're seeing becomes believing. Right? You you, you see it enough and then you, you don't just see it that day, you see it like on a sports show later. Dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm talking about. All right, and then you see it on a sports show later and then you see it like years down the line. It's amazing. Thanksgiving replays God's grace, so that it connects that initial seeing God work to giving you the faith to ask for it again. That makes sense. You see it, and by thanking Him for it, it gives you the faith to ask for it and expect it really again. That's what I love about. Those amazing plays in sports because when, uh, when you see this athlete do it, like a great dunk by Michael Jordan or, or a Rooney's a bicycle kick for Manchester U this past year, amazing, you start to expect it again and you watch for it again. You know what I'm saying? Thanksgiving is the replay that connects that scene to giving us a faith to ask for and expect it again. Because extremity, trial, suffering leads Christians or or just even people who are even open to God, if that's you, in one of two directions. Either towards God or away from Him. We know that, right, about suffering. It It either makes us open to God and lean on Him or it embitters us. If you read carefully, notice... What's mixed in, what David's pleading with him, asking of the Lord. Look at that in verse 9, where he says this. In the middle of pleading with God, Oh, you who have, who have been my help. Have been. He is looking to the past, remembering, thanking God. You have been my help, Lord. And so I had the faith to ask you and come to you again. Because disciplined thanksgiving that David does here and he does throughout his psalms doesn't keep you from worry or concern when trouble strikes. But it keeps you going back to the Father. So it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul persistently ties thanksgiving to prayer. To asking the Father big things through prayer. Let's look at a few verses here. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 it says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We sang this earlier. With thanksgiving, with those little things in prayer, with the big things in prayer, with your anxiety in prayer. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, be joyful always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing. You've heard this before, maybe. Connected with, give thanks in all circumstances. Because that's going to help you pray without ceasing. Here's one more. This is perhaps is my favorite of the three. Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Because through prayer, I love that phrase, be watchful in it. God, what have you done? Help me see your hand in my life. Because I don't always see it. Help me watch. Be watchful with thanksgiving. That will help me look back, give you thanks, which will help me continue steadfastly in prayer. Do you see that? Thanksgiving replays God's grace, which fuels in us the faith to ask for big things again. Now, in verses 7 through 8, something peculiar happens which greatly bolsters David's confidence in prayer. But I spent most of my chips, my sermon preaching chips, on thanks this morning. So I'm going to move on, but I just want to say this. Notice in verse 8, David doesn't start asking God using his words, but using God's words. Look at that. He says this. You have said, Lord, seek my face. And so my heart says, your face, Lord, I will seek. When he says, you have said, seek my face, that seek there is plural. He said, God is addressing multiple people. You all seek my face. In other words, this is to all of God's people. It's to Israel. It's God's word that David is quoting back to God. So David just doesn't start asking by faith with his own words. He starts with God's word and lets that guide his prayer. I want to go on with this, but I'm not going to. Stop yourself, right? All right. I'm going to stop here. Discipline. I'm going to contend with it because our next sermon series starting in September is going to be on prayer. And I'm actually going to preach on God's word as our guide for prayer. And I'm excited about that. But let me just explain this. How does all this work in real life? How does all this work in real life? I promised to give you guys an update on our sisters. I have the last three weeks given an update on our sister in Christ, uh, Iris Chowman. I spoke with Iris over the phone this last week and uh, while she was doing rehab in, in Miami, and she just got back this Friday. Anyhow, uh, I shared two weeks ago how Iris broke her hip, had to be transported to Miami, airlifted there, and upon taking the scan of her hip, As I told you last week, they found a mass on her lung. And well, I I found out this week, I found out from her that uh, it's actually a mass on each lung. And both are uh, malignant. And we need to be praying for Iris. And I'm very, very grateful uh, that both are small. Both are in the early stages. And both are uh, encouragingly treatable. But Iris, when I was speaking to her this week about this, she was very quick to tell me. She said, Pastor Ryan, this is totally the Lord. He said, my doctor explained that had I not broke my hip, which she said was unusual. You know, she never gets tired kind of going up the stairs, and that's how she broke it. And had she not broke her hip, she would never have discovered the cancer until it was too late. And... She said, you know, these are the kinds of things that only God can do. And, and I was just sort of, you know, I'm just listening at this point. As <laughs> she's basically preaching an amazing sermon to me. And even as she explained to me that the chemo that has to come after her, her hip heals more. She didn't cease to gratefully give God the credit. In fact, it's actually been a while since I've heard someone ask with that kind of uh, boldness for prayer. She wanted it. And so we prayed over the phone. And, and we prayed not only for her hip. But we prayed for her hip and for her lungs. But we also prayed that through this trial, this experience, that I was drawn nearer to her Heavenly Father. Her thankfulness for God's provision led to her asking God for help for more big things in her life, which grows her belief and is growing her belief. Do you see that? She, Iris, has kept tabs on God's success in her life. You think that's going to help her? You think that's going to help her with her upcoming two extremities in her life, uh, continually rehabilitating her hip, and then a couple at least a couple bouts of chemotherapy treatment. Oh yeah, it's going to help her. It is helping her. You can hear it in her voice. On to belief. Reinforces her belief. In verse 10, we see it reinforcing David's belief. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. It's a pretty amazing statement because David expresses the highest form of belief or trust possible here on this earth. There's no earthly relationship for which trust is so fundamental as it is between a parent and a child, right? Kids, you know that. You trust your parents. You expect them to feed you. You expect them to play with you, to listen to you. Which is awesome. David Recognize this and he said even if everything I know on earth about love about protection about guidance falls apart and crumbles Father you will still take me in even if I am an orphan you will take me in father How can we how can you and I express that kind of belief that kind of confidence While we need the instruction of this psalm this morning and the high standard to respond well coming out of extremity, unlike David, we will fail to consistently recognize God's grace. We will fail to recognize consistently his success and his deliverance. We will. We're going to fail. Uh, We're going to be inconsistent in our giving thanks. We're going to be sporadic, right, in our prayer lives. And yet, we can be just as confident as David. Do you hear me this morning? We can be just as confident as David despite all that inconsistency in our lives. I know you will take me in, Father. How can we be that confident? Let me tell you how. Because we will never have to pray verse 9 again. Look at verse 9. Hide not your face from me, Lord. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. See, the Father hid his countenance from Jesus so that we may always look upon the face of our Father. The Father turned away the suffering servant in righteous anger so that he might always welcome into his lap babbling children like you and I who just want to talk to Him. The Father cast off Jesus as the scapegoat for our sin. Cast Him off so that we might not be cast off from the Father. The Father forsook His Son. Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we can have confidence that any time that we go to him for help, wearing clear signs of thanklessness, of asklessness, of believelessness, he still longs to listen to his children. Through Christ, let's pray. Father, we thank you. First of all, for this guide. Father, I pray that in our lives we would keep tabs on our successes, which really are your successes, to thank you, Lord. Publicly declare it, Lord. Visibly. And that that would lead to our asking big things of you again as Thanksgiving replays your big acts, your intervention in our lives. It would lead us to ask more of you, which would just reinforce our belief in you. And you are a big God who answers prayer and who always longs to be with us because of Christ. We don't have to plead with you to not forsake us. We don't have to pl- ask you, please, Lord, do not cast me off because Jesus has been cast off and because Jesus has been forsaken. And through faith in him, we may always know our heavenly Father. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for hanging with our uh, difficulties this morning. You know what I want to do this morning? Um, Fur, would you cue up some music for us? I want to do something a little different for some worship time today. Um, I'd like for us, let me read this again. David says, and now, oh, he actually says he, he says this in verse uh, 6 My head will be lifted up above all my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. What I'd like for us to do this morning, either where you are, and if you do it where you are, I'm going to encourage you to be loud. Okay? If you know you have a mumbling voice, I'm going to put this microphone down here. You can come up front and speak. Just where you're at, if, if you should feel so led, to offer thanksgiving to God. Or to offer that shout of joy so here's how this will go if if you've been through a trial lately just to stand up and say this has been my trial and here is what God has done